Well, hello, Basic. It is great to be here. Um, this is my old stomping grounds. I used to do what Carter does in leading Basic a number of years ago, and um, and then we hired Carter, and I had to figure out something else to do. So I'm on staff at Orchard Hill Church, and where's the where's the live stream camera? Is that it's right there? I think my son's watching in North Carolina. Hey, Lewis, go Tar Heels. And uh, yeah, and maybe my wife too, so hi, uh, I'll be home in a little bit. <laughs> if you didn't know I was here tonight, this is where I am, Cindy, so <laughs> I'll be home a little later. Now she knew I was coming, so uh, has this been a great series or what? Faith and doubt, yeah, through story, through his story, and tonight we're talking about his Jesus story. And uh, before I get into that, I have to ask a question, you know, I, I cheer for the Tar Heels, are the Panthers, are they going to beat? This, this UC Davis team on Saturday? Yeah? Yeah? All right. All right. I just had to make sure. So uh, my son plays football for Cedar Falls High School, and uh, their season ended in the championship, uh, a little short of a state title, um, unfortunately. But the last team that won the state title uh, at Cedar Falls High School was my wife's senior year, a year after I graduated. And so I was a freshman over at... Um, the junior college in Ames, Iowa State University, and, uh, and, and Cedar Falls was playing, it was their second game of the playoffs, and they were playing against Urbandale, and so a friend of mine and I really wanted to go down and see some of our old teammates and our old friends, and so we drove down to Des Moines, and as I'm walking into the stadium, I see my ninth grade football coach and PE teacher sitting on the top of the bleachers, and, and he yells at me, he goes, hey, I got two tickets if you want them, and i I'm like, great, you know, and, and so I said, how do I get them? And he kind of looks around and goes, well, I guess you're going to have to climb the fence. And there's a 20-foot high fence around the whole stadium. And this is my ninth grade PE teacher, a gym teacher, football coach. He it was the one who, like, taught us to play with reckless abandon. He got more out of me as a player than anybody else. He was, a, he was an ex-Marine, and he had a, a tattoo of a mermaid on his calf, and at one time, I, I literally, I saw him grab a kid in the hallway with one arm by the, th- by the neck or by the throat and put him up against the wall because the kid was running through the hallway snapping girls' bras in junior high. And so I had a lot of respect for this man. I mean, he was an authority figure, right? And so he tells me to climb the fence. I'm going to climb the fence. So my buddy and I start climbing the fence, and I'm two-thirds of the way up when... Uh, Somebody yells, hey, the cops are coming. And I look down, sure enough, they're running from the corner of the street. And uh, so my buddy bails. And I'm like, I'm too close to the top. So I swing myself over and I jump down. I'm hiding in the, in the student section. And, um, you know, my, my PE teacher just has this big grin on his face. And then the police come up to me and they say, you, come with us. And I look over my shoulder at my PE teacher and I'm like, aren't you going to do something about this? Like, like, I could use your help now, right? This is a guy I believed in and I trusted, and he's still just sitting there with this grin on his face. I'm like, I could really use your help right now. And he does nothing as the police haul me out. I was so disappointed. This is a guy that I, that I looked up to, that I respected, that I, that I trusted, and I believed in, right? And he let me down. Have you ever been disappointed like that by somebody? Ever, like, trusted somebody and they let you down? They, they didn't show up when you most expected them or needed them to? And what did that do to your confidence in that person? 
or your trust or your respect for that person. Has anybody ever experienced that with God? You ever experienced that in your, in your faith? I think every one of us at some point wrestles with some sort of doubt in our faith. Uh, we wonder if we can believe or if we can keep believing that God is good or that God is even real. In fact, it might be the death of a close friend or a family member or maybe it's the death of a dream or maybe God isn't fixing some person or fixing some problem in our life that we've been, been asking him to fix and we've been praying for and working on for so long. Like, why isn't he doing more to help my dad or my grandparent or my friend who's battling cancer? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Or maybe you're struggling with something personally. It's like, why isn't God helping me? I'm struggling with this thing, and I've asked for help over and over, and it just doesn't seem like he's going to send me any help. Doesn't he hear my prayers? Is God good? Does he, does he care for me? Is he even real? I don't know if you've experienced that yet, but every one of us, I think at some point in our lives, we'll experience this, we'll have this experience of doubt. Even if we've encountered Jesus, even if we've tasted and seen that God is good, and we've believed, we've, we've believed in this promise that he's going to bring life and life to the full, and we've trusted him for this, there are times in our faith when things happen, when we want to believe but we're just not sure if we can believe. I would like you to turn in your Bible to John 10, uh, verse 10. And uh, this is where Jesus' best friend, John, records this promise of Jesus bringing life to the full. And John's about two-thirds of the way back in your Bible. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And... Uh, Give you a little time to get there. This is John's biography about Jesus' life. And Jesus is, in this particular section, he's teaching some of the religious leaders of the day, some Pharisees, about how people can know that he is who he says he is and, and how his followers will know that he's God's son by the way Jesus takes care of them and the way he protects them and the way he provides for them. And then he gets to this amazing verse Chapter 10, verse 10, and he says this. He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they, have may, that they may have life and have it to the full. It's one of my favorite promises that Jesus makes. He doesn't just promise us an average life, an ordinary life, a surviving kind of life. He promises us, his followers, life to the full. And then everywhere Jesus goes, we read about it in this story, He's bringing that promise, and, he's, and with him is this presence. We see it, this presence of an abundant life. We see it in all the stories recorded wherever Jesus goes. Sometimes we even get to see it in our own lives. We get to experience life to the full in our lives or in the lives of other people around us. And there's going to come a day when we'll get to experience life to the full for eternity we continue to believe and to follow after Jesus. But I don't want you to miss what else Jesus says in this verse. At the beginning of this verse, he says, there is a thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the greatest strategies this thief uses is to create doubt. 
to create belief, to, bring, to create circumstances that will cause us to doubt or to, or to stop believing that Jesus is who he says he is or Jesus will do what he promises to do. See, the truth is our faith, our lives are caught in the midst of a violent spiritual war between Jesus who's bringing us life and the thief who's trying to rob, steal, kill, destroy that life. We get these tastes every now and then of Jesus and this good life. We get these experiences every now of this good life that Jesus promises us. And I think these are like little outposts that we get in the midst of this war. But what about those times between outposts? You know, we need a faith that will carry us from outpost to outpost. A faith that helps us hold on in the midst of those doubts, in the midst of those challenges that threaten to, to steal or kill or destroy our faith. We need a faith that reminds us and reminds others that God is fighting with us. God is in the midst of this battle with us and that God is fighting for us. John actually shares a story in the next chapter, in chapter 11, that kind of gives us a picture of what this looks like and, and helps us to understand how, how he brings faith and doubt together in him to kind of create this dance that actually deepens our faith and gives us this kind of faith we need to run from outpost to outpost. And the story's about Lazarus, and it actually begins... Uh, when Lazarus' two sisters, Martha and Mary, send word to Jesus that their brother is very sick. Jesus used to hang out with these three at their house a lot, and so he knows them really well. And so when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, his, his friend, this person he loves, you expect him to say, I'll be right there, to drop everything he's doing and to go and to heal Lazarus. But instead, here's what we read, beginning in verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard this, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When I was a freshman in college, again, back at Ames, one of my best friend's dad died one night. And within two hours, I was on the road to come back to encourage my friend to, to be with him and his family and to support them. Because I loved him. I loved his family. Jesus says that he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So he's going to stay not two more hours. He's going to stay two more days. Does that sound like the action of somebody who, who loves these people? What could that possibly mean? Like, how can his love be demonstrated in all of this? Because I love him, I'm going to stay here and hang out. Let him be sick for a couple more days, and then I'll head over his way. I want you to go back to the beginning of verse 4. And Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God, that God's glory might be revealed in his son. I, I, I circled and I underlined not end in death. We need to read on to, to figure out what's going on here in this a little bit. So by the time Jesus actually 
arrives at Martha's down in verse 17, we find out that Lazarus actually is dead. In fact, not just kind of dead, he's, he's really dead. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. What are Jesus' disciples thinking about right now? Like, what kind of doubts started coming up in their mind? What kind of questions were they asking? Like, didn't he say that, didn't he just tell us this wasn't going to end in death? Like, did Jesus not know what he was talking about? Didn't he know how serious this was? Or maybe he just didn't love Lazarus like we thought he did. Or maybe Jesus doesn't know everything like we thought he did. Or maybe he couldn't heal this particular sickness, and maybe he knew that, and so he didn't want to be embarrassed. I mean, what kind of questions are they asking? And then what about Martha and Mary, who are sitting there at home? You know, they sent a messenger to Jesus to say, come, our brother's sick, right? And they've been waiting ever since they, since they sent that messenger. They've got no medicine to help their brother Lazarus. They're just sitting there watching as Lazarus gets sicker and sicker and sicker, and he's probably in pain And he's dying right in front of them. And all they can do is reassure him, hey, look, we sent word to Jesus. He's coming. You know he can heal people. You know he loves you. We've seen him do crazy things. He'll be here. He'll rescue you. He will heal you. Jesus is coming. But Jesus doesn't come. The brother dies. And Jesus still doesn't show up. He's four days late. What kind of doubts filled their hearts in this moment? Have you ever asked God to show up for something? Praying, praying, waiting, desperately needing him to show up. It just doesn't come. And then it seems like that thing that you were hoping wouldn't happen happens. It's like, where were you, Jesus? What do you do with Doubts. Do doubts creep in at that time? What do you do with those doubts when they, those questions that you have when they arise? Think back about those words I told you to underline where it says the sickness will not end in death. And I want you to think about this sec- for a second. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say that Lazarus is not going to die. He says his sickness will not end in death but it's intended to reveal the glory of God in Jesus. It says death is not the end. Death is not going to have the last word. It's just a prelude to God's glory. I think this is something good for us to hold on to and remember. You know, when we're in those seasons of waiting or when we maybe experienced death or disappointment or we're experiencing doubt, and this is not how it ends. There's another ending. God's glory. Martha hears that, that Jesus has arrived, and so she rushes out to greet him, and it says, uh, on his arrival, oh, no, here we are. Uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Does it sound like Martha's rebuking Jesus a little bit? Like maybe she's complaining or even blaming Jesus? I mean, it sounds like it to me. It's like, Jesus, if you'd have come earlier, 
My brother wouldn't have died. He'd, he'd still be here. Where were you? Why didn't you come sooner? She at least regrets that Jesus didn't come sooner. And at the same time, her statement is full of faith. It's this affirmation of who Jesus Jesus, you, you could have done something. You have the power. You can heal people. Even now, you could do something, Jesus. And it's so hard to know the tone, right? We can't read the tone in this passage to know how Martha's really saying this. But, but whatever it is, she doesn't hold back. She rushes right out to Jesus, and she just pours out her heart, her grief, her confusion, her doubt, her disappointment, and her faith. She says, I don't understand, but even now, even now, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask for. Even now. Is Martha asking Jesus to raise her brother from the dead? You think? I don't think she is. Because I don't think that was in her sphere of reality any more than it would be in ours. See somebody, you know, who's done some healing. We, why would we think, and why would we bother to ask, hey, could you raise my brother from the dead? Why would she ask Jesus that? I think it's important for us to think about this word even now. Even now, Lord, you can do whatever it is that we need. And I think what she's saying is that, Lord, even now, even though my brother is dead and it all seems lost, even now I believe you're good. I believe you know what's best for us. I believe you will ask your father for what we need and he will provide it. See, I don't think Martha expected life to be void of disappointment or, or doubt or struggles. I think she knew that death and challenges were a part of life. She just trusts that Jesus is going to provide what she needs even now when she's experiencing death, when she's experiencing deep disappointment and grief. So along with her hurt and confusion, she expresses this even now kind of faith. How did she get that kind of faith? You know, we read at the beginning that Jesus loved them. We know that Martha and her sister and brother hung out with Jesus a lot. They spent time with Jesus, which means they got to know Jesus and they built a friendship with Jesus. And I think that's what helped them come to believe that Jesus had this power and that Jesus was good and that Jesus loved them. Do you have an even now kind of faith? Do you have a relationship with Jesus that's producing this kind of deep friendship where you can speak honestly with him, that even when you are disappointed that he didn't show up, or you're surprised, or maybe you even have a little bit of a, I don't want to say complaint, but, you know, you're just disappointed. Do you have a deep enough relationship with him that you can share that honestly with him, and yet also say, I, I still believe in you? even in the midst of heartbreaking, life-changing circumstances, even when I don't understand what's happening. Jesus promised in this world, you will have trouble. And the illusion of a problem-free life is a false hope. The point of reading the Bible and, and, and spending time engaging the Bible and, and being in a life group and, and looking and, and trying to get to know Jesus isn't so that we can like have all the answers. 
and get life figured out so that life will just work out for us. It isn't so that we can have all this knowledge that we can go tell everybody else all this knowledge and share all this stuff and, oh, we know all these verses and that. No. The point is that we get to know Jesus, that we build this relationship with him, that it's deep enough that we know him, that we trust him even in the midst of our most difficult times and that we trust Jesus enough that we can speak honestly with him. Jesus, I I wanted you to show up. Why didn't you show up? I'm so disappointed. And know that Jesus isn't going to abandon us for that. Jesus gets it. In fact, it might just be the stage that that he's setting for his glory to be revealed in our lives. Back in uh, verse 23, Jesus says to Martha, he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back inside to get her sister. Jesus says, do you believe? Do you believe that I'm God's chosen one sent to restore life? And Martha says the word. She says, I believe. And she gives this theologically correct answer. Something about this exchange makes me think that she just totally didn't get it. Like, she didn't believe. She believed that Jesus was going to restore life, but, like, not now. Like, not right now. She knew Jesus as her friend, but she didn't totally understand who Jesus was or what Jesus was about. She just runs inside to let her sister know that Jesus is here. And in verse 33, Mary comes out, and, and like, like, she has this whole same exchange, almost exactly word for word, as Martha had with Jesus, only Jesus treats Mary a little bit differently because Mary's a little more emotional and Martha's a little more practical and Jesus speaks to them individually where they are. You can read that section, but then we see that, that Mary is quite distraught and she's weeping at Jesus' feet. And in verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I came across those, those words, deeply moved in spirit and trouble. I was like, what in the world does that mean? I want this Jesus is human, but what does it really mean? He's deeply moved in spirit and he's troubled. And the message actually uh, uh, says it this way. It says, a deep anger welled up in Jesus. So I'm like, well, what's he angry about? Who's he angry with? Is he angry at the Jews? Is he angry at Martha and Mary? It's like, no, I don't think so. So I looked up the Greek word, the Greek word for this, this deep, uh, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It's this word that's used to describe an animal snorting when it's getting ready to defend or attack. As I thought about this, I thought, Jesus is angry. His anger has been stirred. He's angry because the thief is trying to steal and kill and destroy Martha and Mary's life through faith in him. And he's already tried to steal Lazarus' actual physical life. And Jesus is now seeing the pain that's causing. He is ticked off and he is getting ready to go and attack that thief. And he's getting ready to go and attack the grave and death. And the truth is we all face death regularly. 
whether it's illness or whether it's the death of a family member or a friend, or maybe it's psychological, emotional, spiritual death, maybe it's the death of a, de- a dream or a relationship, or maybe it's an addiction or, or a depression or sin that's threatening to bury us, right? We face death all the time, and I want you to know no one is more stirred with anger about these things that come at us than Jesus. No one is more disappointed that these things are happening to us, around us, maybe even in us. No one's more upset about that than Jesus. And he goes into attack mode to defend us, to chase away anyone or anything that threatens to rob us of the life, the fullness of life that he's promised to bring us. Bring your battle to him. Remember, it's not going to end in death. He's going to reveal his glory. He asks Martha, in fact, he says, do you believe this? You know, do you believe I'm the resurrection life? He asks us the same question, and then he encourages us in verse 40. This is so amazing. Jesus says, did I not tell you, Martha, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I have that circled over and over do you not believe that if, that if you continue to believe, you will see the glory of God? He reminds her of this promise that he made her. He said, you still have faith in me. He said, you believe that, my God, that God will give me what I ask for. He says, I know you don't totally understand what's happening. I know you don't totally know who I am. I'm about to show you. But even just a little bit of faith that you have is enough for me to reveal my glory. So they took away the stone and Jesus looks up and he prays. And after he said his prayer, he said this. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Do you think? Here's this dead man. He's been dead in the grave for four days, and he comes walking out. And he's just like, go and wrap him. Let him go. See for yourselves. Yeah, I think some people might come to faith with a miracle like that. Right? Jesus is raising the dead. He's not just waking somebody up from a nap. He's raising the dead. So is this promise still true for us today? Does he still raise the dead? Does he still reveal his glory to us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of challenging things? And if so, why is it so hard to see his glory sometimes? As we said, I've been praying, or maybe there's a habit that's just holding on to you. You've been trying to kick for a long time, and it's like, when's his glory going to show up and set me free and take off the grave clothes and send me on my way? I've been praying for help. What's taking him so long? My dad has dementia. He's been battling this for a number of years, and uh, he's at a home now in Illinois. I've been praying for his healing for years because I know that's something that Jesus can do. I believe that Jesus can heal him. And I've been wondering, where's the glory in something so cruel as Alzheimer's disease? It's hard to see the glory of God in that. And he came to stay with us over the summer, and he doesn't really recognize his grandkids, my, my uh, kids anymore, and he recognized me probably two-thirds to three-fourths of the time, needs constant supervision and care. And I'm, I'm wondering, why doesn't God do something? I've prayed, like, God, would you either just heal him or would you take him? Like, this just seems so futile. 
And I'm reading this passage this summer, and I'm thinking, God, where's the glory of God? You promised that if we believe, I believe. Why don't I see the glory of God in this? And we're sitting out on the deck one day, and uh, my dad was just a little more relaxed when we'd go outside, and our dog would be running around and maybe catching the Frisbee, and we were drinking a Coke. And I can, it's hard to have conversations with him because he doesn't track most of the time, but this, this was a moment where he, he was tracking a little bit, and we started talking about fishing. Got some pictures. This is what my dad and I, we used, to, we used to go fishing all the time. He'd take us fishing up in northern Minnesota and Canada. And so we spent a lot of time with that. And he, he says to me, he says, he goes, yeah, he goes, I think I used to have a boat. Do I still have a boat? I said, no, Dad, you sold your boat. He goes, well, why did I do that? I said, well, because you didn't use it anymore. And he looks at me and he goes, well, you don't have to use a boat to own a boat. <laughs> and he's laughing at his own joke. And, and uh and I said, hey, do you remember that time that you almost sunk the boat when you put it in the lake without the plug in it? And then you left me there to bail the water while you went to get the car and the trailer to pull us back out? And he just starts laughing, and we're both laughing, and he raises his hands in, his air, in the air, and he goes, the great outdoorsman. And just for a few incredible, beautiful moments, I had my dad back. It was the glory of God. For a few precious minutes, there he was. Just a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's glory, and it was gone. You know how valuable that was? It's a taste of what's to come. It's a taste of what Jesus promises us for eternity when God's glory is revealed in full and our restoration is made complete. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to have a little time of reflection. I just want to encourage you to take a few minutes. Consider what would it look like for you if you decided to build a kind of relationship with Jesus that would help you develop an even now kind of faith that would help you not only to look for God's glory in all things, but even to see God's glory, that, that you would know what that looks like. Because I believe Jesus is trying to reveal his glory to us all the time, in good times and in bad. What might your next step be in building this relationship with him? You know, maybe it's a practice of getting into his word, or maybe it's joining a life group as... Carter and Sari were inviting you into. I don't know. I can't answer this for you. The Holy Spirit can. So as we take a little time and the band's going to play, I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to just give you a couple minutes. Just consider what might your next step be? What might this relationship look like? Let's pray. Father, I believe that faith like this, faith begins for us as a gift from you. And maybe our next step is simply to ask you that you would give us this kind of faith. But Lord, this even now kind of faith that Martha has, I think, is developed. You know, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, but you want us to also develop this deep sense of faith by knowing you so well. We can be honest with you at all times. We can bring our hurts and our disappointments and we can say them out loud. You already know them. And that we can trust you and we can ask you, Lord, to see your glory and we can trust that you will show us your glory. And above all, Lord, that we can trust that whatever we're going through right now, whatever we're experiencing, whatever deep hurt or pain or doubts or struggles, that it's not going to end here. 
Lord, it's going to end in your glory. Father, give us this faith. It's in your name we pray.